So, Finn, I've been thinking a lot recently. Like, we talk a lot about sadness on this podcast. What, what else is there to talk about? Oh, I don't know. Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. <laughs> That's also sort of about sadness, though. Uh, I think for you it is. <laughs> for me, it's mainly about people punching bowling balls. You know how there are things, when you've got a cold, and you're like, I appreciate breathing now. Yeah, yeah. So there are so many things in our lives that we kind of learn through negative by tracing the shapes they leave rather than their actual presence. And so I've been looking at the blasted landscape of my comfortably middle class urban creative life and I've there's something missing. And what is missing is a 75 minute long film uh, that appears to have been made in about 1910 but was in fact made in 1990. And I've just been searching, which is full of religious imagery and uh, violence, but it's so high contrast that I cannot really tell what's going on. And not like, I've been able to identify that I need that, and I'm really right. struggling because I cannot find a single film like that. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. Um, I've, I found a film that, that's a bit like that. Okay, cool. Now, it, uh, it, it has most of the things you want. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, We're talking it, about the squid and the whale. <laughs> unfortunately, it, it, it is only 72 minutes long. Oh, fuck. But it does feel like it's about three hours long. Ah, I recently watched a film that <laughs> felt like it was about three hours long. And what was that? Uh, intolerance. Mm. Um, but I also watched... Begotten. Begotten. You were going to say the name wrong again, weren't you? Yeah. So that's my intro. <laughs> I mean, you, got- you didn't even talk about the main movie that we're supposed to be talking about. Okay. Unshin and Oh, come on. Un- un- Unshin Andalou. Unshin Andalou. So that's my intro. <laughs> um, how's yours? Uh, I do not have a written intro this week. Oh, wow. So I'm... Whoa. Yeah, but this is, is going to be... Off the dome. This is going to be off the dome. This is going to be straight out of the pipe. Yeah, rock the microphone, freestyler. Yeah, this, straight this, from the top of you. This, this, this is going to be like this is going to be like a rap, but with no rhymes. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's just talking. So, so a Jay Z rap. <laughs> Take that, Jason, if you're listening, Jason Z, <laughs> Jason Z, wife of Beyond Z. Why don't you come for me? Okay, so I have to tell the audience, as much as Finn has claimed to be rapping straight from the top of his dome, um, he has, in fact, found one of the previous introductions. Yep. And I think that he is, it's going to be like a, this isn't going to be freestyle battle rap. It's going to be like a Mike Lee film. There's a structure in place. Well, look, so I, I, every time I do these introductions, I have like, the first paragraph is always the same. You what? Yeah. I mean, then... (laughs) Then the sec- the second part of it, yeah. that, that's that's where I let my creative juices flow and write two different sentences. I am, I have to say, furious <laughs> at the dissembly that I've only listeners at home, I am as shocked as you are. Hello and welcome to Shark and Sound, a podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors, or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we're watching number 94 on the side and sound list, Unshin Andalou, directed by Luis Buñuel, co-directed and written uh, Salvador Dali. Yep. Old Melty Clucks. Yep. You know... 
The thing about Salvador Dali, people don't mention a lot. <laughs> He's got a crazy moustache. Hey, didn't people he, don't bring it up. He had a pet anteater, yes. I believe. Yeah, yeah, I've at least seen a photo of him walking an anteater twer at a dog. Yeah. I think the thing about him is he he did, he did stuff that was a little bit of kooky. You know? One word I think of when it comes to old Sal Dali, it's that he is quirky. <laughs> He's a bit he, of an he, oddball. He takes regular situations, yeah. like like usually, like I'm just surrounded by like a bunch of regular clocks. But he's like, what if they were melting? I yeah, or was like, hey, you've seen mustaches, right? Mm. What if this one was a little curlier? <laughs> or you've seen dogs, right? What if, what if it had a snout <laughs> used to pick up ants? What if I bred this dog? With a kiwi bird. <laughs> and that's how we got anteaters. So I guess what we're saying due to his quirkiness is that Salvador Dali has um, invented the mumblecore movement. Oh. And so our second film this week, directed by his either Edmund E. Merridge or E. Elias Merridge, uh, both of which sound like the names of serial killers. We're watching his film Begotten from 1989. Really? Yeah. Because it looked to me as if it was either from Photo Booth on your computer, <laughs> one of those filters. Yeah. So it could be from yesterday, um, uh, or... It could be from like the year 1899. One of the, the strangest looking films I've ever seen. It is like designed in a way, shot in a way to 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 look like something like Unchin Andalou. Yeah, like like an early silent film. Unchin Andalou looks substantially better. Yeah, like uh, from like a clarity of image perspective. Obviously, you know aesthetics are aesthetics. Yeah, so uh, uh, usually I have like a joke about each movie. I don't really yeah. have a joke about Begotten. Because, uh, like, I, I I don't think I've ever, like, watched a list of a movie that I've seen all of. Uh, I think, like, there were times I was looking at the screen and just, like, my eyes were just unfocused. To me, Begotten, right? Yep. Every time I go to say Begotten, and my brain says it's becoming, but anyway. Yeah, no, um, you've had a problem with every movie we've watched so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm senile that's very troubling is this a record of me losing my mind it feels very much of a piece with visual art films Mm. um which is to say films that are more welcome and possibly more at home in art galleries films that you kind of engage with for a few moments and then can return to uh it's very difficult to sit and watch because yeah yeah, your eyes kind of slide off it because of how much of its visual language relies on essentially look at this essentially abstract image Mm. that is either pure black or pure white with maybe a little bit of gray and abstract shapes like a solarized or posterized image and then being like work out what this is and then it dwells on that and it's probably and then after about five minutes you're like oh it's someone attacking a penis other things that I just kind of don't want to mention because it would sound like we're making fun of those acts as they occur in life. I don't want to be like, yeah, and then there's this really weird bit where they're just smacking a woman's vulva with a hammer for like 10 minutes. That's one of the parts that I just like really unfocused on. 
And yeah. I, I didn't even realize most of that scene was happening until it was pretty much over. I am. This film is enough of a Rorschach test that I'm very worried that I've just revealed a large part of myself. But that's the other film, the trash film. We started with Louis Bunuel's um, famous classic, yeah. like iconic. But apart from something like Dali's Melting yeah. Clocks, this is like maybe the defining text of surrealism. It's only the, the defining text of like surrealist cinema. Or a base text. Yes, yeah. You know, like you can kind of, it was, it was one of those things where once you get past the, oh, we'll talk, we'll talk through it later. But um, like so many images of it, you can see echoing in, you know, David Lynch's work or uh or the weird scary public guys <laughs> work. It doesn't matter. In in other you can see echoing. No, who, yeah. who's the scary public guy? I cannot remember his his name is 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 it Young Svankmeyer? Oh, oh, oh okay, yes. Yeah. 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 Um Young Svankmeyer. Oh well that name came to me quick. I remember that. Good one. Begotten. <laughs> and so it feels like you're watching a greatest hits of surrealism in film because obviously the opening image where this guy he's just we're talking about in Shandalu. i'm just aware we did not mention the title a while ago um uh, guy he's just hanging out he's having a good time he's he's, he's, he's just, just just sharpened a, a straight razor well uh no idea what that could be used for and i noticed i logged on to imdb at this point and, and i registered in the goofs section um, because this guy, he's tightening up a straight razor. He's honing it, mm-hmm. sharpening it up, clean shaven. What is he going to do with that straight razor? I, I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's, he's just shaved and he's resharpening his razor. Look, as someone who has always deliberately missed the first or second class of every surrealist film course I've ever taken. I was real excited. How many surrealist film courses have you taken? Probably two. And I Mm. didn't really miss them. I remember we watched the bit we're about to describe in philosophy of film, which was actually a philosophy paper. Um, That's the one paper I failed. Mm. I've never failed a paper. Almost. I came really close to failing one once because I I, uh, took a maths paper. I, Whoa! Because I'm bad at maths. Why did you take a maths paper? Because uh, I thought there wouldn't be that much maths in it. Okay. So, so it, let's, it was, what are you? Were you in the middle of a psychotic break? It was a stats paper. It was called like it was like one of the things on the like courses you have to take if you're doing a BA. Oh uh, yeah. And this is like one of the ones you could choose from. And it, it was a course called like uh, uh, it's called like lies, damn lies, and, and statistics. Oh, and it yeah, was about like how statistics uh, can be like manipulated and stuff. Lies, and was, damn lies, statistics. No maths here, I believe. Uh, yeah. And so I, I thought it was mostly going to be like about like you know like learning like how how to like how to like read and analyze statistics and and that sort of stuff. And there wouldn't be that much actual maths to do. And it turned out a fair bit of maths. And, and so the the only reason I passed the course yeah. is because I missed the first assignment mm-hmm. uh, because I was sick. That assignment, which was worth ten percent, the ten uh, percent got added onto the final um, exam. Yeah, worth fifty percent was now worth sixty percent. I failed the other two assessments of the course, yeah. so I was on track to get like a D minus. And then on um, the final exam, I got 52% because that was now worth 60% of the total grade. I ended up like just passing the course. So maths got yes. you through. Maths outside of your own control. Yeah. Magi- the math god 
I'm going to call Matthew, <laughs> St. Matthew. I looked down and said, uh, a math student in need. There is one thing I can control in this situation. And, and that's why you're currently doing your PhD in pure numbers, right? And pure numbers and how they uh, do something. I've looked at uh, if, 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 I, if I wanted to know about maps, uh, I, 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 could, I could talk to my granddad. Mm-hmm. He, he can add? Oh, he... Uh, he, he multiply? He, Don't tell me he's doing division. He founded the computer science department at Auckland University. Oh, he's wow. He's a professional mathematician for like over 50 years. Oh. He got the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to mathematics. Congrats to him. Yeah, he's done a, done a pretty good job at maths. He says runge cutter methods for the solving of differential equations, and I don't know what that means. I'm very aware that what I'm about to say uh, is a level of irony possibly too deep for two people uh, who watched a 30-year-old and a 90-year-old film today. I struggled because maths, I think, is good. I'm going to come out. This is a pro maths podcast. Uh, I think in, a, in this all like abstract, we are pro maths. <laughs> but Matt, because like but maths, I don't like having to do it. I And I understand that also what I'm about to say is how people end up inventing their own right wing philosophies. But we know that like one plus one is two, right? That's maths and everything else kind of follows from that point. And do, haven't and, we kind and, of and, worked and, it all out? Terrence Howard. Actor Terence Howard. Yeah, you, you, don't, you know about from Terrence? Crash. Yeah, do you, you know about Terence Howard? No. Oh, oh, yes, God. Sorry, I thought you, I thought you were confusing him with Don Cheadle. No. No, okay, good. No, because uh, we got both war machines in yes. Crash. So, um, you, you, have, you, have you not heard about, about Terence Howard? Terence Howard doesn't believe in maths. Well, okay, so he, um, so Terence Howard, he believes, uh, Okay, I'm going to look this up to make sure I get it correct okay, because I don't, I don't, do. I don't want, I don't want to um, defame the first war machine. Yeah, no, exactly. If I wanted to defame him, I'd talk about how he's like he's an accused wife beater. Is he? Yeah. Oh, Terry. So Terence Howard uh, believes that one times one is two. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's. Uh- and so he, he <laughs> okay. No, how do we know this? Um, he's okay. So he's talked about this a lot. Uh, no, so not just a misunderstanding. No, once. no, 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 no. This is he. So okay. Not only does he believe okay. that one times one equals two. Yeah, he has invented his own branch of mathematics, which he calls teriology, in order to prove this sincerely. Yes, Terence. Terence Howard invented teriology to prove that one times one equals two. How is this in in a day where I've watched (laughs) 90 minutes of violent surrealist imagery, (laughs) the most upsetting thing that's occurred to me? Okay, so this this is a this is a real quote from Terence Howard. This is in Rolling Stone. (laughs) Oh my god, I just cannot comprehend what you are about to say. How can it equal one? He said. If one times one equals one, that means two is of no value because one times because one times itself has no effect. One times one equals two because the square root of four is two. So what's the square root of two? Should should be one, but we are told it's two, and that cannot be. So Terence Howard is the time cube guy. He's like invented like like his own field of math. Yeah, like the he, time he's, cube. he's like built like dioramas and stuff to like. <laughs> <laughs> 
What? <laughs> Dioramas of what? I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. How do you build just of numbers? Is like, it like an abacus? I look. I, I've not. I've not gone as deep into into teriology as I maybe should. Oh, okay. No. Okay. Um. Says here. So he he um. Yeah. So uh, he he also said that he spends many hours a day constructing models of plastic and wire that he patented and claims to confirm his belief. In, in 2017, Howard published his proof of his claim that 1 times 1 equals 2 on his Twitter account. It was heavily criticized by his followers due to containing multiple logical errors and faulty reasoning. I really hope that Terence Howard is purely a man with a crackpot theory and not a severely mentally ill man who we are mocking, because I cannot comprehend. I don't... How... You know when people express a thought... And you're just like, I cannot in any way engage with, I, d- I cannot be on the ground floor of this thought. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to you. Being redacted. <laughs> so, this guy, about to shave, bit of a blooper, heads out. Well, here's the thing, like, sh- shaving with a straight razor, these days people are like, oh, that's, that's a bit weird. Yeah. But like, but what that- are you, one of the twins from the Matrix Reloaded? Yeah, what, what are you, underbelly razor? <laughs> what are you? That scene from Stickmen? There is. Oh, I'm out of straight razor. I have to jokes. say that every time that I'm like, I'm gonna be a clean shaven boy. I'm gonna be a smooth one. Um, I will be like, and what I'll, because obviously I'd do the same thing and go through disposable razors because mm. better for the environment and they're cheaper. And whenever I'm like, I want to look these up. Every community on the internet that's talking about them is essentially a bunch of like chubby white Floridian men who are just on their way to baking their skin into absolute <laughs> leather. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, no, you just got to go straight razor. Um, there's a lot of those people also in um, the stationary groups I follow. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, look at my EDC. And I'm like, that's a nice notebook. Of course, you've got two guns with you on all time. <laughs> a lot of knife people as well. But anyway, yeah. so, uh- but this guy looks normal. Yeah, played by the director. Old Louis himself. Yep. So he's finished sharpening his razor. He goes out, stares at the moon. Yeah. It's a lovely night. There's I, no clouds looked- until a cloud comes into frame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's great. It's an iconic sequence. You've seen this all before. Any approaches that there's a woman there who is like, the the shot the shots of this woman and explicitly like the mid shot of her is possibly the image from a film I have seen the most in the world. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, maybe she's gonna get shaved. Maybe she's got a bit of bum fluff. And he goes up behind her, puts his hands on his sh- on his shoulders. And I'm I'm like, oh, okay, cool, doing it. Uh and then oh, she's got something in her eye. So he reaches her, up her, helpfully. Her eye is, is pried open. Yeah, he pries open her eye to get something out. Uh, but he's got the he's he's being a bit of a silly bear mm. because uh, he's in his other hand he's got a straight razor and it looks like he's going to. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> I've got another goof for that. <laughs> I've got another. I go. I log back into imdb.com um, and go to Shen Andalu and goof section. Ah. Uh, Eyes are supposed to not be cut open <laughs> by straight roses. <laughs> Goofs. <laughs> um, this is obviously kind of, yeah, I can't think. It, it, 
like all the other like iconic iconic images of the cinema i can think of are equals to this but not greater than it it's a it's a big moment in a, in in the way you know the baby going down the steps yep um possibly a part of mary poppins dancing with the penguins let's say no uh, Furiosa falling to her no- knees in the desert yeah, in Mad yeah, Max Fury Road. Um, the single take fight scene in Atomic Blonde. The, the, um, the, the scene where the three of them are in the elevator in um, Bombshell. So I guess what I'm saying is the only <laughs> thing this scene <laughs> needs is some Charlie's. Oh, I just. Here's the thing about Bombshell. There's, 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 it's definitely my favorite film from the director of all three Austin Powers yeah, films. I mean, there's, there's a scene in Bombshell where Charlize Theron is like trying to make the decision of like whether she's going to like speak out about what's his face. Yeah, Roger, Roger Ailes. Ailes. She, she, this scene takes place in her in her car in heavy traffic, and the only reason the scene takes place in her car in heavy traffic is so there can be a flashing sign, sort of in the background, which just says "Stay in lane, stay in lane." <laughs> and it's like, ugh. Yeah. That is exactly the level of like of filmmaking you expect from the Austin Powers guy. As a, as the director, I believe termed that scene. I think that's groovy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I cannot remember. So, no, she, she gets her eyes flashed open. It's maybe the, the most iconic shot in all of cinema, and like still like a hundred years later, it is uh, super unpleasant to watch. It's really well done. Yeah, testament to the the cinematic craft. Hmm. It's just cutting away and then cutting back to a cow's eye. Like the, I know the mechanism of it more famously almost than I know the actual pictures, yeah. and yet the pictures are still like it's just you know it's yeah it, it, it's like a magic trick where like even after yeah. you know yes. even after you know like the exact method of how the trick was done like it still it still works on you. Um, and that I think is true for the whole film, like as yeah. uh, as a metaphor, like uh, it, it's quite enchanting. We said while watching it that it, like we both agreed that it's the quickest. It's fourteen minutes long. Yeah, uh, I think it's like sixteen, but yeah. Um, it is the quickest. We've just lost all sense of time watching a film because <laughs> the thing of like getting together and watching two to five hours of films <laughs> once a week. It's very quickly you're like, I just don't know what time of day it is. Yeah. I don't know where I am. This movie, like on purpose, just yeah. like, just like does not care about about like letting you like get a grasp on like on like the time frame. There are like intertitles throughout the movie telling you like the time has passed. And so one of them says like eight years later, and then one of them says sixteen years later, but it's in the same scene. Yeah, and then one of them just says spring, and then there's one shot, and then the film ends. Yeah. It's very interesting because it's so spellbinding and it's so, even though like, and there, there are clear moments of kind of narrative in it, but told in incredibly, uh, not that incredibly surreal. So it's still people. It's just like a guy is moping by looking at his, looking at his hand and out of his hand are crawling ants. Yeah. It's overall sort of like less surreal than I was, I was expecting it to be. Even even like a hundred years later, it still feels like a totally like a totally like unique experience. Yeah, and you can tell why it's the short film on the list. One of mm. the two short films on the list. Because yeah. Jete. And because it, it feels, yeah, it feels like a best of compilation um, uh, of moments that influenced surrealism going forward. And the fact that they packed so much that almost every still image of it is iconic in mm. some way shows both how like the auteur theory with its roots in the patriarchal great man idea of history uh, has overwhelmed cinema. 
but it also shows how powerful is a short. Like both of those things can be true, you know. Um, unfortunately, not much funny happens in it. No, there's a guy falls off a bicycle. Oh, that's it's, right. Yeah, it's, I thought it was a woman. No, a woman no. steps in front of a car. Yep. My my bad. It's okay. I think the, the problem with both of these movies, not not like a massive amount to say about either of them, because like, there's no real narrative to this. A bunch of bunch of crazy images, and then in between that, there's people just sort of looking at the camera and going, Ugh. "Well, and it is, and it's like the one thing we could do, which is like because I think, not roughly, Unshin and Delu works. Yeah, Unshin and Delu is sound, begotten is a question mark of a film. Yes. And it's, and it's, you know, it is not aiming for the same target as Unshin Undalu, but it is working in enough of a wheelhouse that like looking at Begotten, you can see that a lot of its failures come from not knowing the things that Unshin Undalu knows. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that there's this sense that like Begotten starts, Begotten, and this is not hyperbole, looks like they put all the film stock in like a thresher machine. Yeah, there are black and white movies that look incredible. There are some movies with black and white, but it's like so crisp and so dynamic. It is astounding to look at. And then this this movie, it's not trying to be that. Like it is purposefully like lo-fi and grungy and headache inducing to look at yeah it looks like what i presume corn music videos look like yeah. uh never having oh this i think i've seen one corn music video oh yeah i believe it's video for freak on a leash and there's a bit where like a bullet's being fired at someone and he deflects it by scatting that's right the scat break in freak on a leash he does reveal that his scat power does allow him to become a metal bender yeah it gives, it gives him magneto powers and like uh, that fucking rules. Yeah. And I like, I, I, and as most importantly for our purposes right now, absolutely nothing like <laughs> begotten. Um, so yeah, begotten, you start with this, there's a shack or house yeah, in is. the forest, I think. Yes. There is a person in, inside the shack. There's some stuff in this movie that really does not work. I and mean, there's some stuff that does work. And I think all the costume design is really good. All the people who made this movie came out of the experimental theater. And so like oh, the props and costuming is really fantastic and like really works well with, with the like aesthetic. And the like first proper like image of a movie is this this person like wearing like robes and wrapped in bandages and covered in blood. With this fucked up mask yeah, on. Like yeah. with like a Texas chainsaw massacre type mask and just like sitting sitting in this chair, just sort of rocking back and forth and just sort of like screeching. As soon as that moment hit, I was yeah. like, oh, this is gonna be good. Then it doesn't live up to that. Well, and it's because this film, as a general rule, I think, is much more startling and unpleasant as still pictures yes. than it is in motion. Yeah. It'll find like a really good idea for something truly upsetting and then it holds on it for so long that it stops being upsetting and and just becomes sort of goofy well i and because of the process that's almost every shot you spend five to ten seconds decode your brain decoding what you're seeing and in that process you go like oh cool they're cutting off a guy's penis still and your brain goes that should be shocking but shocking is such an immediate thing Mm. like the eye being cut is happens in a second yeah like that and you're like oh fuck and this you're like still guys 
Really? We're still here? Yeah, so but, in this first scene, the, the, the guy wearing the robes, who it turns yeah. out later is God. Well, yeah, in the credits, he is, his, his credit, the role he plays is God who kills himself, yeah. right? And I think, like, th- this is a movie where, like, most of the, like, allegorical heavy lifting is done by the credits. <laughs> Yep, that is true. Yeah, like much if, like um, Mother. If you if you watch Begotten and then you don't watch the credits, you'd be like, "Oh, there's a bunch of weird stuff." But if if you watch the credits, you're like, "Oh, that was God killing himself," and that other person was Mother was Mother Earth, and that one was the Son of the Earth, and like right. who who's kind of Jesusy, which yeah. which you get which you get from the images, and it kind of gently trawls through this sequence of unpleasant abstract theater scenarios of like people cutting off limbs or, or bodies and, but just doing it at incredible lengths. Yeah. Like in this first scene, like he takes out a straight razor and he starts like stabbing himself in the belly. And all, all of this is done in like a close up just on the like bandages on his belly. This shot is about like two minutes long, two minute long close up of him stabbing himself in the belly and just going. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it, I think, and even just describing it, that sounds more disturbing than it is. And I worry that we're coming off as like jaded horror dudes. And I want to, in a certain respect, I am. I, and I'm like, I'm still relatively a baby horror guy. I spent almost until I was like, until I moved to Auckland. So until I was like, yeah, 25, 26, 27, until I was older than you are now, uh, horror just freaked me out. Like standard horror, entry level, horror. like evil dead two still freaks me out a bit. And so I was really ready to be properly shaken by this film. Yeah, same. And I wasn't. I think, again, watching it in a nice sunny room surrounded by flowers and books, uh, it um, it makes us sound like we're in a a Beyonce pregnancy announcement. I just don't want you, I don't want people thinking like, no, this sounds real fucked up. These guys are just people who've done, gone through so much violent cinema that they end up just like craving the hard stuff. And then even the hard stuff isn't hard enough. For yeah. But like, but like watching this movie was making me crave for hard stuff. Like, like if, 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 every for example, well, like every single decision this movie was making when it comes to like the violent scenes, which there's a fear for it. There's a scene where someone gets like hit in the head with a hammer a bunch of times. Yeah. There's the penis cutting off scene. There's a scene where like people get eaten. Like I've seen each of those things done in like a more shocking way in, in different movies. These things would be shocking in an, again, in a art gallery, yeah. walking into a room and seeing this would be incredibly confronting. Mm. And I absolutely think that's its best context. I, th- I think our biggest problem with this film is that we sat down and watched it and that we didn't, if you, if you happened upon this on like fucking daily motion, it would ruin your week. You know, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of points where, like, it feels like you're watching a weird, like, snuff film. Yeah, it feels like the film that the guys in American movie are trying to make. Later on in the film, there are there are a bunch of they're just like credited as like nomads, and they're, they're people who like you, you can't see their faces. They were just like they're wearing like sacks and masks, and just like dragging people around. And it 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 looks like if, if Faces of Death was made on Tatooine. It's just a a bunch of like weird monsters who you can't see probably who are just dragging people around a desert in like really grainy footage. Because the film starts from such a 
abstract place mm. as is its want. Yeah. I'm not saying this is a bad decision. This is I'm just saying this is where my taste diverges from it. It is that like the reason on Cher and Deleu is still troubling, even though it is safe. Um to the point where like the bit where the woman throws herself under a car is kind of comical because in a way you're expecting her to just get toxic avenged. But that is all like, these are abstract things happening in scenarios we understand. Um, you know, these are interactions between humans yeah. as opposed to like by elevating its characters to godhood, which I think is a really cool move. Yeah. And by making this uh, uh, a fable or a myth is great, but it does mean that it is kind of like looking at etchings and trying to recount the story and because i'm just such a narrative focused person uh, that's a problem a few minutes ago you, huh? you mentioned the movie mother yeah which like does oh, the, the, sorry. The, mother yep which does the, the same thing like these char- char- characters who are like these allegorical god figures and like mother has a lot of incredibly like upsetting violence in it like one shot in particular in mother that like almost made me throw up when i saw it in the cinema it's an incredibly stressful film and Unshin Andalun feels stressful uh in that way um, it is it is the stress of too many people sitting on the sink, right? And it feels like, at least to me, that Begotten is aiming for that same feeling and missing. Yeah, but well, I, 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 I also worry that that's me almost possibly entirely misreading the film. It, it just feels like, in some way, like Mother is the like is the like mainstream version of Begotten. It's like, yes, yes. Yeah, like you, you take the, the same like basic thing of God and Mother Earth and like death and rebirth and and like violence that, that, that people do towards the Earth and, and it's like, but what if it had Jennifer Lawrence in it? Yeah, no, you you're, instead of Donna Dempsey, um, <laughs> Mother Mother is the version that studios would note begotten into. Yeah, they'd be like, okay, cool. So God kills himself. That's great. Now. It could be Javier Bardem, and he should have some charming bits. He can do yelling and stabbing, you know? A thing I thought about a lot was also Twin Peaks, because that, at points, especially in its third season, goes into this level of, oh, like, not the supernatural, but, like, the hypernatural. The idea that yeah. this, this film is a conduit for otherworldly expressions of incomprehensible beings. Yeah. Um, but Twin Peaks... This is a pro Twin Peaks podcast. Yes. Um, no, like everything is a fucking pro. I can't <laughs> imagine there being an anti Twin Peaks podcast. Oh, this is only charming, revolutionary, and fun to watch. <laughs> Fuck it. Oh, David Lynch is only a good guy, <laughs> it seems. And Mark Frost is also like equally smart and woke. Fuck these guys. Carl McLaughlin, he was in Showgirls. Screw him. Um, David Duchovny. Just David Duchovny, full stop. Yeah. Um, but because Twin Peaks always has such precise control over what questions its audience are asking, and Lynch has this more generally, and like you can see it in Eraserhead, which is the closest film to Begotten that yeah. he's made, except for obviously uh, the straight story and the one-minute-long film he made for uh, the um, premonition following an evil deed. Yeah. Um, which is all, which is very, very similar. Yeah. Um, but they all come, all of his work always starts in a very real grounded place that the audience can place themselves in, even if only for 
a second. Yeah. Lost Highway starts incredibly like grounded as just marital drama and then becomes one of the most avant-garde things he's done. Well, and like the trick of Mulholland Drive is that it starts seeming grounded and then it's like, no, 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 no. This has been fucked up the whole time. Um, but you've still been able to arrange yourself in the world. Um, which is to say like empathize or engage directly with it. And like the thing that begotten begotten has no interest in that, which makes it hard to watch and which makes me also think about like the Cremaster films, Matthew Barney's Cremaster cycle of films, which yes, I've seen. That's why I've got a film podcast. So I've so, so still, still never seen them. I mean, uh, you've never seen the beehive dick jizzer bee. Nope. Those films are, at a level of ab- visually, aesthetically, they're the opposite of these films, mm. but uh, in terms of like how they move and, and work are very similar. But you go into them with the understanding in some way that they are artworks that you watch mm. and consider as opposed to put yourself into. And even doing that, like Cremaster is all about distorting iconography in a way that like Cremaster 1 is set largely on a Goodyear blimp. There's no narrative reason for that because there is no narrative. And it was like thinking about Begotten Now, I wish it had a Goodyear blimp in it. Do you know what I mean? Like I wish it had a scent. I just wish I had something because the like it's fun to be absolutely lost. Yeah. But there's a difference between like being in a film where you're like, I don't know. Yeah. Again, talking about In Fabric, which I saw, which is great. And, um, I recommended to Finn in the audience, but watching that film, that film makes some moves where you're like, I do not know where you are going with this. I don't know how the game is playing, but enough of the film has built up that you're like, oh, I'm lost in this maze and I trust yeah. the maze. Begotten is like, I am falling down a well. Uh, I'm a big fan of the film last year, Marion Bird, which like is one, one of the most famously like confusing films ever made. And it is its plot is totally abstract but by the end of the film you do not know who's alive or who's dead like what period of time you're in but like there's something about like the, the way that the, the, like that film is constructed where it's like I don't care about any of that and I'm just like I'm just so on board with how con- with just like how weird it is and like the tone that it's established and I was hoping for, for Begotten to be able to like pull that off for me as well well and I think it is the disconnect between its level of abstraction which I think is that is what he is aiming for and absolutely landing but you can't combine that with wanting to include shocking violence um, because they require different audience relations to the work. Um, And I understand that there's something in making violence abstract that was maybe different in 1990, but we are at a point in 2020 where like the idea of like, let's do violence in a way where it becomes just images, just moments feels to me like it's a part of the narrative of normalizing violence that I react against. And that's why I'm unwilling to engage with that on those terms, which is unfair. Right. He, yeah. He didn't know how the future would go. <laughs> and if he did, maybe he should have put something in begotten. That's like, look out for COVID, <laughs> you know, look oh, out. D- don't trust cops. To, to be fair to old double E marriage. Yeah. We, we, we've not seen his, his later film shadow of the vampire. Uh, yeah. Which I understand is full of, uh, 
mysterious code about stopping 9-11 yeah. is my understanding yeah. of that film. You know, the film it, that it, possibly came out after 9-11. No, it's from 2000. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah no, no, that, 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 that's a film all about like, you know, what what, what if like Matt Shrek, the, the guy who played uh, Count Orlok in Nosferatu. Yep. And what, Shrek. What, Yep. What what if what if he uh, knew about nine eleven in 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 nineteen twenty two? And it's all it's all a metric, just like write, writing writing in his diaries. You know, it's like uh, all these people are going to die in the year two thousand one. But then then the Americans never found out about it because they can't read German. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think if people are interested enough in this film and think they can, uh, like some people may need to skip the opening couple of minutes of Inchen Andalou, and yeah. that is fine. But I kind of think that if you're interested in film, you should see it. It'll be on YouTube, right? Yeah. It'll oh, be yeah. somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you think people should see Begotten? I, I, I think if 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 you watch Inchen Andalou and you you're and and you're like able to like get into it, and also if you're a fan of like horror. I think you may as well watch it. It's not going to be anything that like you haven't seen before necessarily, but I, I think like it's it's only seventy two minutes long. It does feel longer than it is, but like it's only seventy two minutes, but not that much longer than it is. Yeah, sequences are so extended that you worry there's going to be like ten of these when really there's like five. Yeah, it it is a movie that like with a tiny bit more, well, not a tiny bit, with like a bit more focus on just like how the scenes are constructed. And with better sound design, I think Begotten could be like a really incredible film with just like a few tweaks. So, is it shite or sound? I I, I think it's in the middle. I I, I can't I can't pick one. Uh, yeah, I think it is shite and sound. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I think yeah, no, the sound design is something we talked a lot while watching it because a lot of it is just simple loops. It seems yeah. like there's one like three second loop of cicada noise that seems to be in the film for about forty minutes. Yeah, like if we're going back to if we're going back to Lynch, his sound design of all all of his films. Is is yeah. so incredible. Every weirdness in his score and in in the way he works with sound designers to compose things is like there are things that are off, you know, lip sync is out, but every time it is a decision that yeah. does something. The first time I, I got to see like Mulholland Drive in yeah. the theater and like be, being able to experience the pure claustrophobia of how that film sounds like in surround sound is like amazing. That is something that like that Begotten doesn't have probably, probably because of the budget. But like, yeah, so it's, it's got like loop of cicadas and like anytime like there's like violence, you just have someone going, which like isn't uh, scary or compelling. I, I think that sound design will land a lot better in an art gallery environment. That is not me creating a scenario in which a bad thing would be forgiven. I think it's just more appropriate for that setup. If you know what I mean? I yeah, I really very I really vacillated while watching this film. I went from being like, there are there are images in it that are startling and some of them are beautiful and brilliant. Like when he knows how to use this incredibly degraded, grungy aesthetic, when he uses it to create pictures rather than motions and moments, it's like you can this isn't just people fucking around, except that sometimes I would be sitting here just going like, oh, this is just people. You, Okay, a theater troupe got together and in a weekend or six months or three years, pointed a Bolex around <laughs> and fucking baited. Yeah. Um, and, and then released every square inch of film. And like, I, I experienced both of those emotions while watching the film. And that's why I think it's both. I think anyone who wants thinks they might like Begotten should look up Begotten and you will know. I feel like Begotten, you can very fairly judge uh, 
on its cover. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Or I yeah. presume there's a trailer. Go on like Google Images. Just search yeah. like Begotten 1989. Go on Images. If you like look for it and see like stuff that really appeals to you, I, I would, I'd say definitely give it a shot. Because like there are a lot of people who really like this movie. Oh yeah. This, this, is- this movie has mixed reception, but there are people who like, this is your favorite movie. And I can absolutely understand that. You know how you have memories of shitty things you did when you were young that yep. just haunt you. One is in, in like year 10 media studies, we had to make websites and a guy made a list that included like his top five films and he had Donnie Darko as his favorite film. Oh, this must've been later. I was even older. Fuck. Um, and I just spent five minutes explaining to him that while Donnie Darko is good, it's not someone's favorite film, <laughs> you know? It's just not there. And this is one of the memories I think about at night when I can't sleep. I hate, I, 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 I hate myself yeah, in, no, in that it, moment. It's, it's like that, that time I was in year 12 and I tried to explain to someone that I knew that Coldplay couldn't be her favorite band. Oh, no. Donnie Darko is kind of the Coldplay of abstract cinema, though. Um, so the comparison holds up. Begotten, I can absolutely understand why people are fucking into this film. Yeah. Susan Sontag, right? You were saying yeah. part of its success is that Susan Sontag would hold screenings at her home of the film yeah, for like, her friends, like, which is an, an incredible thing to imagine. Yeah, it's like before this movie ever got like released, it had like a couple of showings at like film festivals, and like Susan Sontag found out about it, and she was just so into it. She was like, "I need to show this to everyone." Yeah, and. And I think that E.E. Marriage, I think he achieved everything he wanted to making this. Mm. I think that every issue we've expressed with it is a feature, not a bug. Yes. Um, And that, yeah, that's why I want to call it both shite and sound because yeah. we're, the- we're purely at a, and for almost the first time, I think we're at a, it's a question of taste, mm. right? This is a movie I could see myself like, like coming back to it in a few years and either like hating it or loving it. I'm never going to watch this film again. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll be, I think it'll be a very long time before I decide to to watch it again. It will happen eventually. And there's only two ways to go. That's begotten. So what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, we're doing something about as different as different from Begotten as possible. Oh, I don't think it's actually that different. I mean, like, I mean, it's n- not, n- narratively, I think it's fairly the, similar. The opposite of Begotten is Clueless. <laughs> and that's, that is a compliment yeah. to both films. So next week, we are doing Ingmar Bergman's The, the Seventh Seal. The, the film we are doing with The Seventh Seal, of course... Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. A film that uh, my dad got me real into the first Bill and Ted when I was very, very young. Um, and I really enjoyed it. But I was I was like six or seven. Right. And the picture, the image of death uh, in, in, that, in, in Bogus Journey was so startling to me that I could never see it. I was too frightened. This is also why I've never seen E.T. all the way through. E.T. was too frightening to me as a child. Um, so I'm looking to revisit this uh, wound of childhood mm-hmm. trauma. So this will be the first of two times that I watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey this year. Because the third Bill and Ted's movie is coming out in yeah. a few months and the Academy is doing a Bill and Ted's triple feature. Uh, and I'm going to go see all of those. Well, good eye. Mm. I mean, well, let's wait and see on the third one. Mm. Uh, don't like Keanu without facial hair. Yeah. He, he's just been so much in John Wick mode for the last few years. <laughs> but that, no, well, John Wick and 
crazy, not, well, no, and uh, always be my maybe, like, yeah. and, and, like, and, uh, uh, and Destination Wedding. Yeah. You see, you well, see that movie? And, <laughs> I did not. Yeah. And, like, you know, his E3 presentation where someone <laughs> called him, like, that, like, that Keanu, this chill, the chill dude who's talking on fucking Fallon about where, on, on Colbert when dead people go, when they die, yeah. when they're surrounded, and he, like, when you remove the beard, I kind of lose that Keanu. I'm so, which I'm I'm aware gives me the object permanence of a child. Um, I have a bit of a problem, Finn. What, what's seeing that? the Seventh Seal, a film I have seen before and loved, but I have never seen the first Seal, the second <laughs> Seal, the third Seal. I've seen the fourth Seal, which is the music video for "Kiss from a Rose" right. for Batman Forever. Yep. I've not seen the fifth seal. I've not seen the sixth seal. What? What about the ninth gate? <laughs> um, well, as, what about one hundred and one Dalmatians? Um, as with all, what about nineteen seventeen, two thousand and one, yep. ten thousand BC? Oh, <laughs> you Mannix. Uh, Speartooths. You do not know Skywater. How disappointed Finn's face was to have not been the first person of the 10,000 BC. A film we are definitely going to do, right? Like, oh, absolutely. I, I hope so. we got to get some Roland Emmerich in here, and not just in the form of a, 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 a universal soldier. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea what, what we could do a Roland Emmerich movie with. I mean, I presume Stargate is in the top 100, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Maybe it's in the top 250. <laughs> Got to get some Spader in there. <sighs> you don't like James Spader? Well, look. Yeah, like he the, came I'm, on in I'm, the worst seasons wait. of the American Office. Yeah. See, I was, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, video drum. That's not James Spader. That, that's the other one. Right? Yeah, that's James Woods. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, Oh no, boo, James Woods. But, James but Woods. James, James Woods, good, good, good in video drum. Yeah, but James Woods, if you're listening to this, I will physically fight you <laughs> for the things you say. I am prepared. If you fly me to Los Angeles, me, a heavily overweight man, I will physically fight you. <laughs> just so you know, yeah. you just got to pay for the ring. That's just me. I want to start a beef properly, James Woods. I, yeah, want it, it, I think it's a, it's a it's an even match. I think, <laughs> I, yeah, me versus literally Hades from Hercules. Um, anyway, and Adam Baldwin, while you're there, I will lose to you in an arm wrestling match. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that because this is this ends with Adam Baldwin deliberately breaking my arm when I call him a cut. Yeah. Uh, until you see the last one, I was like, oh yeah, just like in Twin Peaks, <laughs> just like <laughs> it's the arm wrestling match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Um, uh, anyone who hasn't seen the Twin Peaks arm wrestling match, go look that up. That's great. No, just watch all of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, uh, it's good. But like, if you've only got five minutes, what if you arm wrestling? If you've match? only got five minutes, contact the people you love and tell them that you love them. No, no, I disagree. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, I, I think if you've got, if you've got five minutes to live, yeah. you just want to go on, on some David Lynch. Okay. You've got, so... You wake up one day, you yep. eat your eight pieces of caramello as you yep. do every morning. Uh, there, there's a haunting man in a business suit. He's not got a face. Yeah. Uh, and, and he says, I don't know how, but he does. Um, uh, Finn Nicholas, you have five minutes to live. 
And I have here like a, a Blu-ray player that can show you five minutes of any film. No, you can't do anything else in this scenario. Okay. Well, what I'll, do you watch? Like, what is your uh, five minutes to live haunted man island disc? Okay. If, if, uh, okay. I, I think I might watch the last five minutes of the apartment. Huh. I would feel pretty happy going out on that or any one of the songs uh, from Stop Making Sense. True. I'm pretty sure that this one's favorite place is exactly five minutes. Oh, wow. And so I'd be very happy to just to watch all of that song and start making sense and then fucking die. Um, I would watch May finding the O Totoro in my neighbor Totoro. That, that is also... When she uh, finds the, yeah, the that, sleeping that's, that's, giant Totoro. Uh, yep. That's, all, that's also a fantastic pick. Yeah, no. Uh, oh, it's pretty what, easy what to a, think... What a good uh, movie. A, right? Yeah. Like, can you... Be, do you know what we should do at some point as like a bonus um, in 30 years or something? <laughs> but you know... My Neighbor Totoro and Grave of the Fireflies were produced and released as a double yes, yes. bill. Yes, I, I, I did know that. A double bill. Yeah. Imagine just walking down the street. <laughs> I'm going to go see a film. Oh, look, adorable films about kids. So excited. Oh, no. I, I would... I, I would watch that if Grave of Fireflies was first. Uh, what order were they? I I, can, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I hope Grave of Fireflies was second. I, because like I, I don't think it would be possible to watch Totoro after. No. I th- Counterpoint. Hmm? I think Grave of the Fireflies first. For those of you who aren't, who have not seen Grave of the Fireflies, it's about two children and it has the word grave in the title. <laughs> You make the connections. Um, no spoilers, though. Um, I think that comes first because there, there's a moment in my neighbor Totoro, um, absolutely to add to the list of like, if you have time to listen to this podcast, you have time to watch yeah. that film films. Um, all, all, all of Miyazaki's films are on Netflix now, at least in New Zealand. Oh, yeah. No, they're putting them out in phases, but some, most are there. Yeah. No, I think all... all, all oh, they've all, hit the, in the final yeah, phase. All of its features are on there. Um, so, like, watch fucking any of those like genuinely any of those, but mainly watch My Neighbor Totoro. Um, but My Neighbor Totoro has an extended sequence where one of the characters going goes missing and is feared dead. And if you've seen Grave of the Fireflies right. first, oh, yes, yes. that sequence genuinely carries the threat. Like it's not, you're not in a happy film anymore. Yeah. But yeah, no, we should, we should do Grave of the Totoros <laughs> or Neighbor of the Fireflies. That's right. We, tell you, if you guys, I'm talking to the listeners, not the no people who are in the room with us. There is, there's a, there's a. What about all your books <laughs> who are listening to all the words well, we say? If you look slightly that way, that way to the chair that I'm pointing at, as you can see, there's like a little stuffed blue animal yep. that I have been periodically making eye contact <laughs> with. Where, uh, so it does feel like I'm talking to two of you. Yeah. If you, if you, you know what you should do with this podcast. If you're enjoying, we're, we're eight episodes in. And I would say that even though this episode dealt with some tricky material, I feel like we've gotten quite good at this. I feel like we're fine. No, no, we're not good at this yet. We found a voice. We know. We kind of know what the show is. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. like it can still grow. And so, what I'm going to ask you to do is, you know, how you've got friends. I know. I I actually judging by like how we feel and the kind of audience I think we might attract. You know how you think you don't have friends. 
Yeah. I'm, you know those people you think like secretly hate you when you're yeah. all around? Yeah. Maybe go tell them about a podcast. I yeah. Yeah. If you know someone who would who would enjoy this, tell them to listen. Cause like we're gonna do it anyway. I mean that that's possibly not true. If if we were at zero <laughs> and one of us was dying, you know? Um, but it's nice to watch films and then and talk about them and it's nice to to share things. And mm. if you've got any feedback, thoughts, questions, queries, uh, not corrections, um, mm, where can, I don't know. I'm open to being correct about things I said, but uh, don't correct you if he oh, doesn't give a you shit. You are much more knowledgeable about these <laughs> things than I am. Like what you're saying is it's like a chef being like, okay. You can complain about getting salmonella, but only to me and not to my meat chef, <laughs> this uncooked room temperature chicken. <laughs> they can do that, but they could email us at shitesoundpod at gmail.com. They can. You can, you can find us on Twitter at uh, shitesoundpod. Um, where can we find you, Nicholas, uh, I am uh, uh, I am on Twitter at Ficklas F I C K E L A S. Okay. Maybe it's L E. I can't remember. I hate. It. I'm going to change it soon. I think can as I, soon as I think of a better Twitter handle. Can I tell you something that I'm only concerned about now that we are an hour and twenty minutes into recording? Sure. Have we said our names at any other point in this recording, uh, or the name of the podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're in, in, yes, in no, my you intro, in your intro. Yeah, that, that's that's why that's why we have my intros. Because if we just do your intros, <laughs> I I see the value of both intros. No, no I I totally agree. <laughs> I'm saying that, that's the value that my intro provides is any sort of structure. <laughs> you can find me uh, wherever you want. Uh, Youth Lives, U-T-H-E-R-L-I-V-E-S. And um, by the time this podcast is going out, which is in six weeks, yeah, um, I will be building up to uh, the new season of my audio drama podcast, The Witching Hours, which uh, you will be able, we'll be replaying on the podcast feed. There'll be old episodes going out. Look those up. I'll put a link in the description. And we're also doing a week of live recordings in Halloween week at Bats Theatre in Wellington. It's going to be incredibly great fun. All of the episodes, which I've definitely written <laughs> and are all done, will be recorded uh, uh, over that week. So so come along. I'll work out a better way to do this sales pitch. Great. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing all of those. Yeah, no, that, that, they'll be good. Uh, I hope. Um, no, we've got four... Uh, uh, other writers uh, in this year, Johnny Potts, uh, who's also the narrator of the show, is very good. He's a Wellington-based comedian. You'd, if you'd seen his work, you'd you'd like it a lot. Finn, mm. um, he, he's one of the two people who inspired me to kind of get into comedy. Okay. The other one, well, I just gotta uh, say, I, I don't like any comedians from Wellington except right. ones who moved to Auckland. <laughs> okay, what if I told you I spiritually felt like I still live in Wellington? That's not true. Um, I, no, I do feel like I spiritually live in Wellington. Wellington, please come to my show. And <laughs> uh, no, the other person who inspired me to do comedy is Amon Mara, right. who's also writing us an episode. Oh, Abby great. Howells from Discharge and just writing great plays and Harley Queen and being hilarious. Uh, she's writing us one. And uh, Emily Hope, uh, who's uh, an emerging playwright, just finished the IAML score. I just have so few platforms to discuss this on. And I would just really like people to both listen and come. There will be a link in the description. I will cut this down heavily. I, I apologize for it. Just feels so gross to be like capitalism. Um, but there you go. Capitalism. Yeah, it is, it is saying, please come into my audio drama. Really? Like, is, 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 is that the worst expression of capitalism? I, uh, 
it's not the worst. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not like you, it's not like yeah. you, you own an emerald mine in apartheid South Africa. Yeah, Mr. Know? Robot isn't going to take me down. The theme song, yeah, yeah, which is probably playing under me right now, is called "The Nux" by Kazam Blam, um, and the, that just leaves our fight, our final catchphrase, as usual. You know, straight off the top of the dome. It's the most iconic catchphrase in history. If I were to crack your bones like Brighton Rock, they would have this catchphrase written through them. If if you were to to crush my head with a mallet, what would come spilling out would be the phrase, movies are good, even bad ones. (laughs) Go watch them. the level of, like, of filmmaking you expect from the awesome powers guy. As, a, as the director, I believe, termed that scene, I think that's groovy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, we should do an awesome well, I, powers I, film. I, I just wish John Lithgow in that movie just, just said, do I make you horny just once? <laughs> <laughs> bombshell the film. Except Roger Ailes is played as Austin Powers. <laughs> Like I'm, 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 I'm just fucking sick of this trend of love, like gross out comedy guys trying to be taken seriously as political thinkers. Yeah, because <laughs> like, and because all of their thinking is like, you know what? I think sexual violence is bad, <laughs> and where you're like, oh, yeah. really? You're like, l- l- let me make a bad film to show you this. Yeah, it's like the bombshell guy. It's fucking, it's, it's fucking Joker. Yeah, it's Ed McKay making his movies. There, there's nothing I like more than the guys who filled the '90s and aughts with tits and ass <laughs> comedies about people literally fucking pies. <laughs> No, actually, no, the Waitzes are all right. Yeah. Um, so not that one. Um, and then they're like, oh, rape culture. And you're like, oh, guilty conscience. Um, Bye. <laughs>